Robert and Tiwada Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his inaugural appearance on the program. This is his inaugural appearance. He has previously served as a contributor both to Sports Illustrated and before that to Baseball Prospectus. He's currently employed by Fangraphs.com. It is Jay Jaffe. Jay Jaffe is the guest on this edition of the program. And on this edition of the program, I endeavor to become more well acquainted with Jay Jaffe and also to serve as a surrogate for the listener who is perhaps also interested in learning more about Jay Jaffe. Jay Jaffe, for example, has lived in Kuala Lumpur, Salt Lake City, and Providence, Rhode Island. It's an unusual triumvirate. Jaffe is also the progenitor of the Jaffe Wins Above Replacement Score, or JAWS, which serves as the definitive statistical benchmark, I would say, I declare, for Hall of Fame worthiness. It is merely some of what is revealed in the conversation to follow, a conversation uh, in which Jaffe also reveals one of his greatest fears, Bees. Bees. Just too many bees. Terrifying that uh, for Jay Jaffe. We'll get to that conversation momentarily. First, it is both my privilege and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the excellent work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but just slightly less reasonable, those same readers can acquire, if they so choose, an ad-free membership, a Fangraphs ad-free membership which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available at Fangraphs.com by going to that website and clicking around a bit. Okay, uh, with that advertisement now complete, let us move on to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs. Who does it feature? Jay Jaffe in his inaugural appearance. And when does it begin... Right now. Just before five. I got. I got. I got to duck out at five so that I can get uh, my daughter at five thirty. So what do you got a daycare? Yeah. Hey, I want to tell you something, Jay. That daycare is difficult to find. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we're we're lucky. We've got one like five minutes, five or ten minutes away from us. It's it's a uh, uh, it's a short walk. We were you on a wait list, Jay? No, we we actually got uh, got the one we want. We got wait listed at, at at the one that's that's downstairs in our building. They were too snooty. Wouldn't let us in. We're currently looking for a as you you and I have corresponded with some frequency and uh, part of the um, process of arranging something like what we're doing right now or for example when you submit a post or when I edit one of those posts part of it uh, requires uh, on both of our accounts navigating childcare. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it is a it is a new thing. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, we've been looking for a daycare, and uh, it seems as though you need to, at least where we are, you need to uh, be on this a year ahead of time. Yeah, I think we started looking about six or seven months ahead of time, and that that kind of screwed us with regards to the place that's that's uh, downstairs from us. We were we were slow on the draw. We had two other places we looked at, and the one that we ended up with is is the I think the perceived as the better of the two, and it's also the closer of the two, and it's worked out great. They love her there, and I think we got pretty lucky and all. Wait, it's closer than the one that's in the downstairs of your building. Closer than the than the third option. Oh, the third option. Yeah. It's not closer than the one downstairs. No. Is it awkward with the folks downstairs? No, they don't even know us. <laughs> they they have no memory of this encounter. <laughs> okay, good. It's not awkward from your side. No. 
Okay. This one, the one we ended up with has a better ratio of uh, caregivers to children, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but is it going to get you to the, into the top schools? Is it going to get you to the top schools? You should hear. She's got, she knows like 200 words. She's 19 months old. She's. If you think she's going to continue at that rate, that's about 10 words a month. It's about, it's about a word every five minutes. <laughs> Start, because well, it starts, it starts at uh, what, a month or something, or a year old or something. Yeah, it starts at about a year old. She had, yeah. she had, her first two words were no and uh oh. And those, those, those took her through from about like eight months to 12 months. So, <laughs> yeah, well, in fact, people won't know this because, you know, there, we have an editorial process at Fangraphs, but most of your posts consist mostly of the words just no and uh oh. No and uh oh. And it yeah. requires, there's a lot of back and forth between you and me really trying to get. <laughs> Trying to get at the kernel of the thing. Did, isn't did it? you mean the Dodgers' offense? No. <laughs> <laughs> how has their How has their season been so far? Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> now we were. Uh, we just had. Uh, I mean, now I'm immediately going to date this podcast. I'm very bad at the turnaround, but it does not matter because what we are producing here is evergreen content. Jay Jaffe. Sure. <laughs> what we're doing this will be when all humans are gone. So roughly five years from now. And uh, whoever comes after us, when they listen to this, it will still be as relevant then as it is today. We just had our, it's a Monday, we had our staff meeting, and we were talking about, now you've done a couple posts, right, that uh, come in sort of complementary pairs. You looked at the most team-friendly yes. deals, the most player-friendly deals. You looked at the Brewers' mediocre projection and the Jays' optimistic projection. Yes. For today, you wrote a post called, uh, the Dodgers will probably be fine. About whom would you, wrote, would you write, Team X probably won't be fine? You know, I think the Padres are a good candidate for that. The okay. Rays, the Rays are a good candidate for that. There are a lot of teams that will be fine. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a rush to declare some of them not fine, but uh, some of them are definitely not going to be fine. The Reds are not going to be fine. The Reds probably are not going to be fine. Yeah, look at them. I don't know if this is something that uh, I ought to be admitting or not, but I, I'll be honest. At any given point, I'm not sure that I'm particularly well acquainted with the standings. Does it seem like a weakness for someone who's? You, you know, it's. I think it's a. I go through times when I when I'm not very familiar with them either, and I have to admit, the first week of the season is one of them. Nobody looks at the standings the first week of the season. I mean, you know, unless it's unless you want to be reminded that your favorite team is like you know five and zero or or zero and five. There's really no reason to. You could probably remember, you know, what happened to your team, and you don't really care. You know, it's not like the playoffs start tomorrow. So I do at a certain point, you know, start to look at the standings on a on a daily basis and, and ingrain them, and it's also how I remind myself, oh. There are other teams I could be writing about other than the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, the, you know, and like the three other teams that, that kind of rattle around my brain with, with high frequency. Oh, it might be time to do something about the Astros. Oh, you know, so. Right. They won the World Series last year. Things like that. Things like is that, that. Is that worthy of a post to you, winning the World Series? Yeah, it, it, generally, yes. Um, I don't know that it's going to be breaking news that they won the World Series last year as of uh, April 10th or whatever. It's probably not going to be the big traffic boost that would have been, you know, mm -hmm. back in late October, early November. Um, but, you know, yeah. if, we, if we need to remind people then, you know, and they're not seeing enough of those, uh, you know, between innings ads on MLB TV, then yes, we can, uh, can certainly alert them to the fact that they won the World Series last year. I'm not saying that it's something you ought to do. However, I do think that here, let me, re let me rewind. When I was an undergraduate, I went to, uh, I spent a couple years at a large school and there was a large psychology graduate 
program at that school, and therefore there were a lot of undergraduates who would participate in, you know, studies, essentially, uh, experiments. And I believe, I still have never, I never verified it, but I was taking an intro to psych class, and I believe that there was a student in the class who was participating in an experiment. It was making a loud noise apropos of nothing, just a periodic loud noise, but not reacting to it and not inviting other people to react. Just, you know, just a loud noise. <laughs> and then would stop and continue listening to uh, to Professor Herb Terrace. But this is, you know, could be the sort of thing if you just wrote a post on April 10th, uh, <laughs> Astros win World Series. <laughs> but, and you wrote it entirely straight as if it were, you know, the night of, the next day, the, the day following the final game of the World Series. Yeah, no, I, I can see the value there. It, it, it would certainly be uh, something that would get remarked upon at the very least. Yeah. Um, they would check on my sanity. Yeah, I think that we would uh, we would have to do that. Here's what I want to know. I want to know more about Jay Jaffe. That's going to be one of the that's one of the objects of this particular conversation. I see. Okay, that's fine. I'm holding in my hand a book that was influential in the, my, I guess, my greater acquaintance, that field that is broadly uh, referred to as sabermetrics. The book is Mind Game, How the Boston Red Sox Got Smart, Won a World Series, and Created uh, a New Blueprint for Winning. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 was the, uh, that was the first baseball prospectus book that I was in. Yeah. I'd been writing for BP for uh, maybe about a year, starting uh, starting at that point. Mostly just uh, Hall of Fame stuff, and uh, I think I was doing what was what was then called the Prospectus Triple Plays, which was something where you'd write about three teams, and I think my three teams were the Dodgers, the Twins, and the Giants, or maybe the Pirates were there. But I managed to break the format because I wrote too damn much, which probably won't surprise you, uh, given that you're charged with... Uh, uh, turning my posts into uh, into something digestible by the by the readership, but I was writing. It was supposed to be like you do three bullet points for each team, and my bullet points were just ginormous. But uh, yes, uh, Steve Goldman was the editor of the Mind Game Project and wanted my input, and I did two chapters for that book: one on Pedro Martinez's troubles against the Yankees, and one on David Ortiz and the cast off nature of how the Twins uh, gave up on him and and how the Red Sox in there. What, what was essentially a cast call for uh, left spectrum guys like uh, Kevin Millar and uh, oh there David was a Giambi I think yeah there was a Giambi in there and uh, uh, it was all about you know the the talent that just uh, piles up at the DH first base end of the spectrum and how the Red Sox really took advantage of that but you know I think but probably but both of those chapters probably hold you know, hold up pretty well relative to uh, some of the other aspects of uh, that book and other things I've contributed to. So, well, it was a it was a helpful book for myself, someone who not only had been a Red Sox fan or grew up as a Red Sox fan, but then who was it, it worked as a nice segue because after the, that World Series in two thousand four, I, I usually describe it like this: I was emancipated from my allegiance to the Red Sox. It would have been a burden for a long time, and then they won, and then when the 2005 season began, I actually, I had very little inclination for some reason, but because I didn't, you know, attempt to understand why. And I think generally the reason was because there was no, how, how, how was 2005 ever going to rival right. the previous season, which was based off of, you know, 86 years of frustration and, you know, some near misses. 2005 wasn't going to build on that. And, you know, I don't know if if it's really possible for any of, I mean, I don't think any of the three championships the team has won since. Is it since? 2004-07 and 13. Yeah, right. So, I mean, the, I don't think the two championships, I'm sure that all of the players have been happy uh, and certainly no one, I don't think anyone in Boston was disappointed by it. 
I don't think Red Sox fans are disappointed, but uh, it does not rival the experience. So reading this the following year, this book allowed for a nice sort of um, segue into a number of sabermetric concepts. Yeah, I think that was the intent. Of, the intent of the book was to be sort of an introductory sabermetric book as well, and you know to combine what was then a relatively new concepts. I think to to a certain portion of the audience with an historical look. And and Steve Coldman, who envisioned the project, I think was as, probably as good about about that stuff as as anybody in the industry, particularly at that time. And uh, it was a lot of fun to go back and, and do some of that stuff. You know, and to to look at the way that the Red Sox were built, to look at the way that uh, they had struggled over the years you know it, with with certain problems and you know, it's, it's it's funny i haven't seen that book uh, even on my shelves in years it's, it's probably buried behind some other books but uh are you looking for it right now on your shelf? I just turned around to look for it. Yeah, you turn around. This is not does not make for great ah. You're right. Audio. It does not. It, do, it does not. JJ I've, Effie. I've got a, I've, I've got a headpiece audio thing that probably doesn't work because it's not plugged in, and then uh, uh, because <laughs> this, you know, once well, here's a boring treatise on 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 audio uh, and microphone ports on the iMac. Uh, <laughs> my current iMac does not have uh, this this two plugged. Uh, headphone thing that the old one did, which allowed for the microphone to work as well. So boring story. Yeah. Uh, anyway, right. so I can't see the book. I don't have. I don't have a mirror here, so I'm not going to look for the book. Yeah. No. Do it's okay. It's all. It's all. Enough of it is in your heart, Jay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you wrote on for that one. You said you wrote on Pedro. He had troubles against the Yankees. Did he have? Did he have troubles against the Yankees beyond just the fact that the Yankees were good? You know, he got. I think he got an unusual lack of bullpen support, if I'm remembering. But they had his. They had his number. They had his mm-hmm. number about as well as anybody did. And and that you know to that point in time was I think a, a big source of frustration. And you know it was just you know one one pitcher can't beat you know can't beat everybody all the time was one less, and he just needed a little bit more help from his friends uh and his teammates and, and he wasn't getting it and imagine writing about david ortiz i don't know following the 2004 season that's a funny time i he, i mean he had obviously been he had been quite good in that season and he also had recorded a number of memorable hits and if his career had ended after 2004 he would obviously be fondly remembered but I don't think that one would have necessarily could have necessarily envisioned that he would go on to produce a number of excellent seasons, especially because there were a couple of years in which he looked like like it looked like things might be over for David Ortiz. Yeah, no, it's I mean, we saw what was essentially the, you know, the, the front end of uh, a credible Hall of Fame case there, you know, with what he did in, in 2003 and then 2004 that, you know, turned out to be the start of, uh, you know, a 14-year run that was just placed him as one of the centerpieces of Red Sox history, you know, and a guy with over 500 home runs and, you know, the common thread between the between the three championship teams. Yeah, nobody could have foreseen that. And yes, there was that dip there for a few years where he had uh, some wrist problems and some other health problems and it looked like, okay, he's going to go through the normal type of decline that you expect a guy you know, DH type to get once he's in his mid thirties. And instead he somehow managed to pick himself up off the mat, cut his strikeout rate dramatically and uh, became, uh, if anything, I think uh, even more potent hitter than he had been for many of those years, if not necessarily matching the peak. And that's uh, obviously it's a, it's an incredible run. Now I want to, you, you uttered the, the phrase credible hall of fame case. I think that's maybe a bit of foreshadowing to uh, something further on in this conversation but can i can i just get some basic details like where you're from 
Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I, live, I, uh, I live in Brooklyn uh, right now. I've been in Brooklyn for just over 10 years. Before that, uh, I was in Manhattan for another 13 years. And mm-hmm. uh, I have uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was born in Seattle, grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Went to school uh, at Brown University. Spent a couple extra years in Providence after that, uh, starting my professional career in the uh, lucrative field of graphic design, uh, specific, specifically designing desktop published magazines about show horses you know there's big money there uh, wait, wait a second you went to brown and what presumed did you study graphic design no i did not i oh. have i have i have led a very roundabout career path that is uh probably not replicable to any of you who are uh looking to take my advice and uh follow in my footsteps but wait so uh, you, did you get a job in providence no so what ha- okay so what happened is this i because I, I also have questions about salt lake city yes, this okay. is a place that i do all not right. understand at all, all i understand right. well but no no but tell me just let us work more. let us work piecemeal here all all, <laughs> yes, all, all questions will be episodic answered. nature yes. okay from the from the professional standpoint, I came to I came to Brown uh, with the intention of studying engineering. I lasted one year in the engineering program and was barely able to keep my head above water. Specifically, the computer programming stuff was just not happening for me, and and the physics stuff was not great. I knew which direction gravity went, but you know after that, all bets were off. I transferred. Uh, I changed when it, when it became time to actually declare uh, concentration major, whatever. I, I I switched to biology. My intention was had remained to uh, to go. Uh, pre-med and to a, to go to medical school after. <laughs> Knowing where you are right now, this yeah, is all very it's, entertaining. It's, it's all very, yes. It's, it's yeah. like I said, it's a roundabout path. Somewhere in there, uh, while I enjoyed the biology department much more than I did the engineering department, I just, I caught the writing bug. Uh, I was writing about uh, music for the campus uh, weekly entertainment paper. And I decided I wanted to see what I could do with the writing, get the writing out of my system. You still haven't done that. Fair enough. Well, I, I, I initially said, okay, I'm going to just you know defer on this whole med school application thing for at least a year, maybe more. Um, and uh, I got uh, an internship at a music magazine called Boston Rock. Uh, my girlfriend at the time from college had moved up to Boston, so I was commuting up there three days a week to do this internship, and it was a great way to maintain the relationship, such as it was. And mm-hmm. I discovered that, you know, while writing the reviews was fun it didn't pay the you know didn't pay the bills but learning the desktop publishing software which was part of the internship did and uh when i when i was looking at the uh back using the brown uh, university career center board i answered an, an ad for a desktop publisher production manager somebody who knew pagemaker which i did and it was this uh company that that uh, published show horse magazines out of uh, a home in edgewood rhode island and uh um, I became the the production manager at a princely sum of twenty thousand dollars a year. Uh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not so bad. Uh, you know, at nineteen ninety two dollars, it was great. And I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, I I moved down to New York and uh, worked as a graphic designer for a good long time, actually more than ten years. I did some interesting stuff. I got uh, worked at a, a company that uh, specialized in educational and children's books, and got to do things like uh, be the creative director for the World Almanac for Kids for a couple of years. Designed a couple covers of the World Almanac, uh, the adult version, not the adult version. There's no. <laughs> <laughs> there were no t- there were no tassels on the nipples or anything did you, like that. Did you do the graphic design for the adult version? <laughs> it was the triple X world almanac, <laughs> the dirty uh, world almanac. Yes, you know, and I did I did educational textbooks, you know, textbooks and things like that. I always gravitated towards the science stuff, which put my biology degree to great use. And 
at some point, all this stuff was, was print design. And at some point I decided I wanted to learn a little bit of web design. So I had this, and I'd had this idea for a baseball blog brewing in my mind. And I turned my uh, uh, rudimentary design skills into what became Futility Infielder. Designed the site and uh, started the blog. And that was like 2001. And uh, eventually my writing came to the attention of the folks at Baseball Prospectus, uh, specifically my Hall of Fame stuff. And I know you'll get to that. But gradually I transitioned out of graphic design and into full-time writing after several years of doing that at, at BP with uh, phasing the, the graphic design part out of my life. I did uh, five and a half years of Sports Illustrated and then was hired by Fangraphs. And, okay, uh, so this is, you, you brought us on a very... A uh, very quick trip of uh, your professional. Yes, uh, you've you've brought us through your LinkedIn page essentially. Right. Well, I haven't I haven't updated my LinkedIn page, so I think they still this still shows me working at at uh, SI. So uh, don't go there, and and please don't uh, don't try to connect with me on LinkedIn. <laughs> this is now. I will say you have given a gift to the world, and uh, I believe that this is a gift that keeps on giving. Is that if one goes to futilityinfielder.com backslash WordPress uh, will bring one to a, to a mostly updated version of that site. But simply going to futilityinfielder.com oh, yes. That's a, a brings bandit. one to a, a web. Was there something before web 1.0? This was, I mean, yes. Uh, do, you have a, do you have an Ask Jeeves link on this that I can find? <laughs> no. No, it's not that it's not that old, but it has but it has been largely abandoned. Yes, well, the the most recent date at the top of the page is March twenty third, two thousand twelve. Yes, that would be uh, just about two months before I started at SI. Okay, yeah, and there yeah, you've yeah. got uh, scroll down, and you'll see a link to Mind Game there. Yes, I will. There it is. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> yeah, it just became it became way too much trouble to update this page. I was using Dreamweaver and. Dreamweaver just got way too bloated for my purposes. That's funny. My wife said that about me the other day. <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> so, do you, but you do have this gift that keeps on giving futilityinfielder.com. I'm not going to say it's a must see, but if anyone is looking to be amused and then also looking for a slightly, a somewhat useful entree into the uh, work of Jay Jaffe, at least somewhat current, then uh, that's also useful. I would like to know about Salt Lake City okay. as, as a place. You know, you're a person who lives in uh, Brooklyn, New York now and uh, lived in Manhattan before that. So you, you clearly recognize the two are different. I haven't spent a lot of time in Salt Lake City. Um, yeah, I, you know, unless you have, unless you're going to ski, I don't mm-hmm. know why you would, given the choice. How did your people end up there? And uh, my dad, you know, the, my dad was a, was a, uh, a radiologist and he had gone through his uh, uh, medical school at uh, University of Washington, and he'd done an internship at Yale, had come back to do his residency in, in Seattle, which is when I was born. And then he fulfilled his service requirement by a fellowship at the National Institute of Health uh, in Bethesda, which is where my brother was born. Mm-hmm. Then he got a teaching fellowship in Malaysia, where we went overseas, which is, I started preschool uh, As at, you that do, point, yeah. at that point, and had a, apparently had a British accent uh, at the age of three. Adorable, um, right? Yeah, must have been must have been quite something mm-hmm. but uh anyway i guess when he got uh, his job offers the t- the two choices came down to salt lake city and birmingham alabama in that context i can't fault him for making the choice that he did mm-hmm. um even though uh salt lake city was probably not the ideal place for me and i think we can also say that uh i'm sure birmingham uh, alabama is home to, to many worthy folks and, and, yeah um, some <laughs> yeah yeah but uh I, I my parents have been in salt lake ever since my dad was at the university hospital and then uh, moved over to uh, specialize in, in pediatric radiology and finished out his career as a doctor at, at Primary Children's Medical Center for the last uh, uh, 
25 years of his career. Uh, they're still there. I could not wait to get the hell out of Dodge, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak. I, uh, you know, I was uh, applying to schools on the east and west coasts and uh, ended up with, uh, you know, one of my top picks and really, you know, never looked now, it should back. Be, it should be noted Dodge is not located in Utah. I believe no. it's located in Kansas. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that geographical correction. <laughs> you know, whereas uh, most of uh, uh, most of my friends uh, ended up, or some of my friends ended up going away to school. Uh, some of them went no further than the University of Utah, you know, whose campus I basically grew up on. Many of them are back in Salt Lake City, which I find to be alarming. I, you know, I think while Salt Lake City is a manageably sized city uh, and has improved culturally relative to what it was when I left home in 1988, it is not a place that I would elect to spend my time because my sanity is, I, I just place too high a value on my sanity. Now, do you still go back there? I do. I do. And I actually just booked a flight back there to see my parents uh, and to bring my 19-month-old daughter, who will then be 21, 21 months old, to see her grandparents. Well, that sounds delightful. It's just, you know, it's just that Salt Lake City is, a, is, I found it to be a very tough place to grow up Jewish amid a dominant Mormon culture. And Yeah, uh, I was going to say, it's, I guess it's not, it's not most famous for, for its thriving Jewish population. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I had, uh, you know, had, there's a, there's a, a small but uh, hearty Jewish community there and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, very close knit, and many of my friends who've uh, you know have gone back there after college uh, and and are quite satisfied with it. But I just wanted to see the rest of the world, and I feel like I'm uh, barricaded in New York to keep away from the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> now here's a question: When you lived in Malaysia, did you live in Kuala Lumpur? Yes, indeed. That is bananas. I don't understand that place at all. Do you have any? I mean, do you have I, any I, insights? I, I do have. I have memories of it. Mm -hmm. that my dad was an avid amateur photographer and took a lot of photos and you know and, and that are all of our family albums and so the memories of those were of that was all was all very reinforced uh, at a young age so i have just some random bizarre memories of things like a turkey wandering into our home yeah and uh persuading my baby brother to smash a gecko uh with his with his foot just as point where he was learning to walk that's dark yeah and just yeah things things like that and uh have you done this at all do you ever do this now no i, I was talking about with my wife the other day we're both in our mid-30s which i don't think necessarily is old right but is an age when you realize that some of the uh some of the paths that might have been open to you at an earlier age are no longer open to you oh, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some things you won't be doing Right. And I think that what we were realizing is that there are there are almost certainly now places we just will never visit um, just, yeah. just by, because there are places we want to visit. So, you know, you have at any given point, you have a sort of, you know, like your top five um, and some places you would like to revisit. So you'll be going to those, too. But like I think um, and I don't we never expressly said it, but I have a feeling I'm just never going to go to Kuala Lumpur. And, and that's no slight against that place. But I could also be persuaded. Uh, I could be persuaded uh, otherwise, too. Yeah, I'm not sure why I why I would get how I would get back there. What what circumstances would have to happen that would get me mm -hmm. back there? But I am I am sort of intrigued by it. I mean, it would be very interesting to see, you know, because I have, you know, enough memories of, say, like the layout of the house that I that we were in. Mm -hmm. that I would like to validate just to say, ha, yes, that's true. <laughs> like if I were to sketch a floor plan. You think you the, could do it? I think I almost could. Do you ever have any dreams in uh, that take place in that in that uh, house? No, I don't think so. No? Not not in a long time, no. But I do have uh, some vivid memories of, of childhood terrors and, and triumphs and things like that. In real life, not in dreams. Yeah. Where do you, what house, do you have like a, 
a house that you're mostly in when you're in your dreams? Your childhood home? Yeah, the, the home that my parents still live in that we moved into when I was about nine. It's a, a kind of a very modern looking home that uh, was built into the side of a hill overlooking <clears throat> Salt Lake City. And, you know, there's the novelty of uh, of being in a in a brand new house. And, and you know, it's it, I, the, the dream I have is always the, the discovery of rooms that weren't previously known to me. Ooh. You know, that seems to be maybe number two on the recurring... Actually, that's probably number one on the recurring list. Number two being, you know, sign up for the class that you haven't been to and you're thus failing, which I think is also... Wait, is, this a, is that a recurring one people always have? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think that's, that, that might be that might be the most popular recurring dream, I think, for people. It's not, not necessarily mine, It's but it's I do get them. I've learned to sort of defeat that one. I always figure out, like, somewhere in there when the panic sits in, it's like, wait a second, I got a biology degree at Brown. I don't need to take your shit... <laughs> Look, you know, high school physics. I leave me alone. I'm waking up. Well, I've had, a, I've also had a variant of that where because I used to teach a community college, and I have a variant where there's a class that I was supposed to be teaching, and it's like weeks into the semester, and I just have not bothered to show up. Yeah. Yeah, I assume that's that's the same general genre. It's the same. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's you're yeah you haven't been in a technical class. You 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 didn't go through the paperwork to drop it, or there's been a miscommunication somewhere along the way, and uh, you're on the hook right now for this uh, you know for this final paper, this final exam, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if someone listen, if someone never went to school, could they possibly have that dream? Is it somehow? Uh... I don't think it's. I don't know. I think it probably has to has has to do with the, the specific terrors one one feels about uh, you know getting uh, uh, bad grades on your permanent record or something like that. Was your worst grade ever, Jay? You know, semester I really, grade B's B's. That's just nah. too many B's. I never. I would. I I always managed to avoid to avoid a C, but uh, uh, there were some gentlemen's B's in there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so that's a little bit about Salt Lake City. What's one good thing you can say about Salt Lake City? Uh, the weather, I mean, not not the weather. The the uh, scenery uh, and the the mountains are gorgeous. I love skiing there. Haven't had you know because of the um, the combination of writing a book and uh, having a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it's been now three winters since I got to ski. Where do you ski? Where you go up to Vermont? Snowbird. Snowbird, Utah. Yeah, okay. If you're yeah, if you're out there, but what about? I have, I have I have never really gotten into. It's easier for me to hop a plane to Salt Lake and go skiing with my dad than it is to like rent a car, rent equipment, rent you know, and find lodging, say in Vermont or New Hampshire or wherever one does that. Yeah, I don't own a car. I haven't owned a car since. Uh, uh, since I moved to the city. The accident. So, no, yeah. you're right. Yeah, <laughs> my, oh, one of the things that prompted me to move, to, to, that sped up my my uh, desire to move to New York was that my car was stolen twice in Boston uh, while I was living in Providence within a, uh, something like a nine-month period and it returned to me both times when the insurance money surely would have been a much better deal. <laughs> and, so what uh, you wished you'd had a better thief essentially trying to foil yeah, you yeah i guess so i mean it wasn't like i was you know i didn't like having my car stolen it was a considerable inconvenience but when you know the amount of money that i was was supposed to get for the car the second time when it was returned the last day before it could be before oh, that's I, rotten. I could finish off the claim uh turned out to be you know Far more than what I sold it for, particularly when you account for all the extra repairs that I had to put into it before selling it. Uh, this is like in the last three months that I owned a car. So, did you ever take the commuter rail up to Boston when yes. you were working at Boston? Yes. House? Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, a, a couple times. We didn't care for that. Well, you know, I needed the car really. That was yeah. it was I could do the I could do the commuter rail, but it was it was I was kind of helpless. Other Let's talk about. Can I ask you a couple questions about Providence? Because I'm genuinely curious. Sure, sure. That was one of the places uh, that my wife and I were briefly considering relocating to. No way, I should say, to which my wife and I were, were considering relocating. However, I did not. I never realized that even after visiting a few times, I didn't really understand the town. You know, I love Providence, but it's it, yeah. It, there's more to it than meets the eye, but you have to. You sort of have to stick around for a while to to figure that out. I I have to think so because I tell you, like, um, I went to a couple times. I visited at Wells Avenue or uh huh. That's that like on the west side on the uh, federal. Is it Federal Hill? Federal Hill, yeah. Federal Hill on the west side. You know, I'm uh, nominally Italian, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured that it would make sense to me. I'd go over there. But uh, there's a lot of silly Italian restaurants. And there's some housing. But, like, there's hardly... There's, like, not even a supermarket anywhere on that side of town that I could find. Which was yeah, strange. I said, where do people live Well, over there? It's, it's funny. I lived... Okay, so I went to school on College Hill. Sure. Uh, which is where Brown and RISD are. And, you know, there's reasonably well set up, you know, as far as grocery stores and things like that. There's there's two major ones, or there was in my day. And then the, after I moved off of, I, I spent one more year after graduation living on College Hill, moved back into a house that uh, one of my friends had lived in as an undergrad. We just kept sticking around there. And then, but for the last, I think, 18 months that I was there, I moved over more in the direction of Federal Hill, further out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are these, there are those hills, like, you know, Federal Hill that basically there's there's a lot that goes on between those major avenues, which is where the the, the residenting takes place. Yes, um, and there's a, you know there's there's a lot of great ethnic food, particularly as you get you know besides the Italian stuff, which is great. You know, you got you've got to be you know I guess you have to know where to go, and if you want the old school stuff, there's no shortage of that. And if you want the upscale stuff, there's certainly good stuff for that. But uh, if you go to, to Warwick and Cranston, there's like amazing uh, like uh. Thai and Cambodian food and things like that. I mean, it gets... You really have to you have to understand and appreciate the suburbs of, of Providence in order to take full advantage of it. You know to get further out and go to the you know go to the the coast and to drive up to Seekonk for your retail needs. Seekonk sounds like a sound a goose would make, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. It's also where the better the, where the best grocery stores were, and it was only Wait. like about an eight minute drive from Providence. Wait, is it is it fancy? No, no. Okay, no. Seekonk's not. No, just a big, you know, it's like a strip mall wasteland, but it just had had a much greater concentration of stores, you know, and if you needed to do, you know, a bunch of errands, it was just a much more efficient place to go. How'd you get to start working for Baseball Prospectus? I think you, I mean, you... You mentioned that you did. So, yeah. Okay. So what, what happened was, you know, I, when I was writing at Futility Infielder, something that I did that got an inordinate amount of traffic compared to my usual piddling rate was uh, this series of posts I did on the 2002 Hall of Fame ballot. I was looking at the Hall of Fame ballot in light of Bill James's win shares, which had just been introduced uh, in the new Bill James historical abstract. And I think a couple years before that, I'd also read The Politics of Glory. So I was sort of attuned to this Hall of Fame stuff. And what I did got linked on, on Baseball Think Factory and got you know, exponentially better traffic. And I did that again the next year. And then the third year, when as I was thinking about doing it, somebody from BP reached out and said, hey, do you want to do some Hall of Fame stuff for us? And I said, sure. And you still have that email in any account? Uh, probably not, because I used to use uh, Eudora, which was a standalone, a standalone for the Mac 
And uh, now I just go through Gmail. Eudora, I've, yeah. got a, I've, I've probably got the email somewhere. I just can't find it. But anyway, I wrote uh, some stuff for them and introduced the system that uh, was not known as JAWS then, but uh, within about a year became known as JAWS. And that was the start of it. I had, uh, I had torn up my shoulder uh, that year and didn't get to ski. Uh, tore my labrum. Uh, I didn't get to ski that winter. And so when I was home, I was just basically like, fill, you know, combing through the, the uh, prospectus player cards uh, and filling in warp data in an Excel spreadsheet uh, while my family skied, um, so, which is about the nerdiest damn thing ever. But uh, I didn't promise anybody that I wasn't going to be a nerd. <laughs> so that's how that started. I, I was, you know, the, the Hall of Fame stuff was popular. Then they asked me to do this uh, prospectus triple play. And then the next thing they asked me if I wanted to create a power rankings. And that became the prospectus hit list, which was yet another cumbersome format that uh, I wrote too much about or too much within. And, and finally I said, Jesus, Jay, just write a column. And uh, I did. And that was called uh, prospectus hit and run. And that pretty much took me through my, my time at, uh, at BP. You were, uh, I believe at the same time, you were a colleague of Dane Perry's. Yes. Do you think that um, Dane Perry is um, more grotesque? <laughs> or, I mean, do you think he's like dangerous or do you think he's just grotesque, I guess is what I mean to say. I think Dane's dangerous. You think he's dangerous? Very yeah. dangerous, yes. Yeah. Do you feel like that he's patient zero for any number of illnesses, probably? <laughs> that, I, I can't testify to that. I, I can't testify to that. I think okay. he's just, he just, he knows just enough to be dangerous, though. That's, that's how I would characterize it. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, have you ever spent time with Dane Perry? Yes. Yes. Once what do you think a, about him? He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Once, once upon a time, he and Nate Silver came to New York City and we all went out and had a few adult beverages and mm -hmm. uh, things got very silly. Nate Silver has be, has since then has become so much more successful than Dane Perry. That's uh, true. He's become you have so to much say? more successful than me too. I mean, you know. Yeah, but I'm not so focused on you. You know, you're a well-meaning person. <laughs> Dane is, uh, you know, he's uh, he's a boil on the back of life. He, uh, Ouch. Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he has a brother who's much more successful than him. Oh, I didn't know that. Dane is Dane is a um, is a monthly guest. Is, on is, is he the black sheep of the of, of the Perry family? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. You know, Wait, is his, his, is his brother Sideshow Luke Perry? No, uh, no, but actually his nieces and nephews are the band Perry, if you're familiar with them. Ah, uh, yes, very good. <laughs> yeah, th those are his brother's kids. I mean, I'm not lying to you. Those really are his niece and nephew. Wow, okay. Nephews, yeah. Oh, and, the, and they're already much more successful than, than Dane ever was or ever will be. Well, yeah. that's, that's And what that. does Dane's kid ever do? I mean, you know, he seems like an okay kid, but. <laughs> a lot to live up to. Anyway, that's just a brief segue because I noticed that you probably worked with Dane. Yes. No, we 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 were uh, we were at BP for not sure how long. It was not the entire duration of my time there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it was it, it was. Uh, I always enjoyed working with Dane. I don't think you've been as uh, fired from as many places as Dane. <laughs> what do you think? That may be true too. There are actually they were running out of of networks, online networks for Dane to be fired from. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I work through them slower. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a slow burn when it comes to pissing people off. <laughs> <laughs> he must be more immediate. Now let's let's talk about the Hall of Fame stuff. You obviously have, uh, well, you, I mean, you are you're famous basically. You're basically famous, Jay Jaffe. You are the progenitor of the Jaws metric. Yeah, I invented something that people actually like. 
uh, and and yeah. find and find useful, which is uh, I guess I kind of lucked into something that, that that that's worked out pretty well. Yeah, the uh, the Jaws system is something that Hall of Fame voters and uh, followers tend to uh, tune into every year and use it as a, a framework with which to analyze Hall of uh, Hall of Fame candidates and. It became popular enough that uh, I got on TV several times a year through the MLB network and got to do uh, a book about it, the Cooperstown case book, which came sure, out. Feel free to plug. Yeah, it came out last July on Thomas mm-hmm. Dunn Books. That's D-U-N-N-E. Uh, <laughs> if, you go, if you go to cooperstowncasebook.com, you can find out all about it. Or you can Love it. Search for search for it on Amazon. It is 464 pages of Hall of Fame deliciousness. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, it was sort of intended to be uh, a follow up to the uh, Bill James politics of glory, since James himself has not written uh, a lot about the Hall of Fame since, because he has uh, gone behind the paywall, so to speak, in terms of his best ideas, giving those to the Boston Red Sox and leaving mm-hmm. us with the rest. I don't think Bill James is particularly a fan of my system because I don't think Bill James is particularly a fan of war, but my system is a war-based system that uses uh, a player's career war total and and, uh, what I define it as his peak, which is his uh, best seven seasons. And that has turned out to be a useful framework with which to analyze uh, these candidates. And uh, I lucked into what became a renewable resource and... uh, um, you know, a million monkeys typing for a million years, I guess I will write know, the Cooperstown case book are contained within me uh, to, to have <laughs> happened upon that one thing that uh, was actually useful. How did the now you mentioned that, that you were doing the windshare stuff some time ago for fertility infielder and that actually was seemed to be your entree into baseball perspectives. I mean, is that is that really how, well, how it, it started? It, it was. I was actually looking at. I was. I was looking at uh, win shares. I was also looking at just the traditional stats. And then w- what I did for for BP was to use warp uh, for, mm-hmm. for the first time. And I think warp was maybe a year old at that point. And it was like, oh, hey, here's something that you know that tries to measure offensive and defensive value. Let's give this a look and see what it says. And you know, at the time, I think you know, in retrospect, the, the BP version of warp that was that was in use then. You know, we can pick it apart now quite extensively. Uh, mm-hmm. it, its replacement level was uh, basically the equivalent of the 1899 Cleveland Spiders, uh, which is uh, very, very low if you're not uh, acquainted with that particular right. okay, uh, yeah. moment in baseball history. Yeah, I think maybe the 2003 Tigers might have. Uh, We've invoked the name of, you know, anytime you come across the Cleveland Spiders in baseball history, you've hit pay dirt. Like when the uh, the 2000 and one, no, 2000 Yankees limped home going three and 15 over their final 18 games with a run differential that was like, you know, negative a billion. I think it was like, you know, the last 18 games spree like this was the 1899 Cleveland Spiders whose best players had all been shipped off to whatever team they were nominally associated with via the syndicate ownership uh, right, sc- scheme of the time. Might have been St. Louis, but... Uh, Hall of Fame stuff. Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah, your, your, your beginnings. Yeah, so uh, the warp stuff, you know, it, it's Jaws is a framework, as war itself is a framework. You know, you utilize different components. I'm just, uh, you know, the war version that I use is the baseball reference version of war, which uh, there are reasons to use that, that uh, versus uh, the fan graphs version when it comes to uh, retrospective pitching valuations versus forward-looking uh, projections, I think, that, uh, you know, might lead you to choose one over the other. But uh, Jaws itself has evolved. It used to be a player's best five consecutive seasons for P. It's now players' uh, seven best seasons at large. You know, if there's a better defensive system that comes along, uh, we may use that. Uh, I don't know. But it's a very versatile framework. The idea is you take a bet, the player's career and you take its peak. You, you find an average of that. You 
compare those players to the Hall of Famers of their position, and you have a good first cut methodology around which to build the rest of your analysis because, you know, war is not everything and doesn't account for postseason stuff or historical importance or things like that that are all things that we should be looking at as well when we're thinking about Hall of Famers. And uh, how would you say, from your point of view, the conversation about the Hall of Fame has changed since you started writing about this? Oh, like... it's it's developed dramatically. I think that, you know, I think the internet itself and the availability of statistics and, and the rise of analytics has made that entire process. It's turned, you know, the Hall of Fame season into a spectator sport unto itself, you, you know, particularly with social media and blogs and all that. You know, people write about it uh, with some frequency and uh, we get to see it on TV, uh, mentioned on TV and, you know, with uh, every analyst uh, weighing in. I think the conversation has gotten smarter. I mean, I think it's still shrill at times, and particularly so when you're talking about certain candidates uh, uh, connected to performance-enhancing drugs. That's a you know that's a that's an argument that or a set of arguments that I think just is, is never-ending. But I do think we've gotten smarter about it. I think that if you look at the you know the players that have been elected uh, by the writers, at least. Uh, we're seeing better choices and in, in the past few years than we had uh, in the in the previous uh, uh, several years. We're certainly seeing more players get in. I think one thing that uh, I've been gratified to see is that, you know, before Jaws b- became uh, popular, you know, we saw maybe one or two guys get in a year. The election was at a very low ebb, uh, including the uh, 2013 shutout before that uh, 2012 one guy getting in. It, just, it was just so miserly. And now suddenly we've seen this burst of guys get in three or four a year for the last few years. In fact, the largest uh, five-year group that we've seen since the original uh, five-year, five years of the Hall of Fame. You know, we're seeing, I think, a more equitable recognition of greatness. And, uh, you know, I'm pleased with with, uh, the fact that uh, Jaws has played a role in that. I certainly can't take credit for everything, but, you know, if I've played a part in that, you know, I'm happy. And it's gratifying to see some of the biggest writers in the industry cite my work in connection with changing their mind about Do you mean uh, physically biggest? Is that what you mean, Jay Jaffe? No, I, I think in terms of uh, readership and stature. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Listen, I have, uh, I have, I think this will be a conversation to be continued because right. you have obligations, I have obligations, and we've hit uh, nearly an hour, and so that is, uh, that is okay too. But it's been a pleasure to get to know you better jay jaffe and i thank you thank you all right well thank you this is fun and uh, happy to continue the conversation another time your obligation to fangraphs audio to your inaugural appearance in fangraphs audio is complete all right sounds good that has been uh, jay jaffe prolific contributor to (laughs) (laughs) fangraphs.com i am carson sestouli and this has been fangraphs audio